podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Whistleblowers. After another Hollywood weekend of Premier League action, we are back to dissect everything we can be bothered to dissect. Liverpool failed to capitalise on the best result in their entire history. Arsenal continued being brilliant. Man City kept up the pressure on them, while Man United dropped points at home to bottom place Southampton. We're going to talk about all of that, plus much more. Alongside me is Gareth Dobson, King of Tottenham. Good result for your boys this weekend, Gareth. It was. It was, you know, you have one win, you forget about the the three defeats before it, and it's kind of enjoyable watching this sort of collection of pantomime horses stumbling towards the uh, the top mm. four finish line. Yeah, what what do you give your chances at the moment? If I was to gun to your head, I mean, this is, I don't have to do this, but I am doing it. Gun to your head, it's loaded, you've heard it click. What are you saying? You spun the barrel. I'm going to say <laughs> 65%. Oh, you're quite confident. Yeah, fairly confident. I, I think that um, not... I think that Newcastle are too limited. I mean, they had to fight incredibly hard for a win against... The, I know Wolves are a doubt, a doughty team, as they like to say, mm. but, you know, it, they've really huffed and puffed. And, you know, I'm not sure Liverpool are going to have many feet left, given how many times they shoot themselves in them. Yeah, well, we're not going to talk about Spurs uh, anymore later on in the programme. So this is your opportunity now to, to get anything off your chest that you really want to talk about Spurs-related. I, I I think this may relate more to the tactical deficiencies of Nottingham Forest and anything specific to Spurs. You know, Spurs did their job; they did it well. It was nice to see Son get back involved. But I think you know Newcastle, uh, Newcastle Nottingham Forest played so openly, especially in the second half when they were chasing, that it was the single worst thing you can do against Spurs. The only thing Spurs are, are basically fairly competent at is is counter attacks. Yeah, I mean, I just. For some reason, I feel like that front three has sort of gone to pieces very quickly. Son doesn't seem to be anywhere near the player he was last season. Kuliszewski doesn't seem to be getting the same... He's not getting that same penetration he was getting in the back end of last season. I think he was a January signing, wasn't he, last season? And he was just unbelievable straight away. This time round, it just seems to be a strange one. Yeah, no, he came with Bentecure and he was brilliant. He was probably the difference that put us in the top four last year and... He came back. He's had he's had some injuries. Um, missed a lot of the first part of the season, the pre World Cup bit, and obviously, you know, Rich Allison has had problems with injury. I mean, he's been mm. a disruptive element. Not him himself. I know he had a little bit of a paddy on uh, midweek, but you know, understandably so. And um, Conte obviously used that well. He turned it around. And said, "Well, you start on Saturday, and you show me why." You should be playing. He played brilliantly, but Richarlison's ideal position is coming off the left. But they have stuck with Son through thick and thin to the point where I think even Son would admit he's probably you know shouldn't be starting every game by default. So yeah. I think Son has been so good for Spurs, and he's been overshadowed, understandably, by Spurs's all-time greatest striker now. Um, that I think you know it's it's easy to underlook overlook even what he what he achieved like you know a 20 goal a season striker who's the second striker for your team is yeah it's phenomenal so I think him dropping off so substantially has had a huge effect on on the team yeah yeah I think so look Gareth I feel like I had to start with Spurs there because you're you're co-hosting the show with me um but you've had that you've had that bit of grace to talk about your little victory your three points congratulations to all of you <laughs> you could little uh, win but now yeah well this is it now i'm going to juxtapose that with something uh, much worse for you mentally i think uh, arsenal 
Let's go in with Arsenal because they looked just they made they made Fulham look like a team that's just come up. And I know Fulham are that, but they haven't looked like that all season. They've looked brilliant. They were swatted away at Craven Cottage by Arsenal. I thought Arsenal were brilliant. They made absolutely no fuss over it whatsoever. Let's hear from Boyd Hilton. Boyd Hilton's the host of the Footballist at the Arsenal podcast. Hi, this is Boyd uh, reporting on the uh, victory for Arsenal at Fulham today. Um, I think this was just an absolute um, joy to behold for an Arsenal fan. Um, completely dominated the first half. Uh, had a goal disallowed for offside, which was uh, very close, and then just kind of carried on uh, as we need to go on, really. And I think um, the attacking players, Trossard in particular, uh, is just a revelation, just kind of slipped into the whole way we play um, with remarkable ease since we brought him um, for hardly any money whatsoever. Sacra Martinelli is brilliant as ever. I mean... Um, uh, the midfield was fantastic, you know, um, it was really just incredibly uh, heartwarming <laughs> to see. And obviously Fulham were pretty terrible in that first half as well. But all in all, um, each time we play at the moment, I kind of feel more and more for Arsenal fans that you think you, you've finally been convinced with 11 games to go that we're in this title race and that we could win it. Um, if we manage to keep this level of performance up. And we've got that thing that Man City have where teams feel like they're, not, they're a bit scared of us, and quite a lot scared of us, really. Um, and I feel like we make other teams nervous, and that's what happened with Fulham today. So, yeah, absolute triumph. And I'm very excited to see what happens next week against Crystal Palace. Yeah, they do have that sort of relentlessness that, that teams seem to have to have these days in the Premier League. You seem to have to be getting minimum 90 points to win a league now. And that's partly because of what's almost all because of Man City and, and what they've done over the last five or six years. But they've definitely got it. I didn't think we'd be talking about this still now. I didn't think we'd be talking about an Arsenal, not just challenge, but an Arsenal uh, campaign in which they're leading from the front. Yeah, I, I, I think we, we talked about this last week. You know, mm. I've moved from they might win to they could win, to they should win, to they will win. It's and I suspect that last week's victory against Bournemouth will be. Do you remember in was it the ninety two ninety three season where United were were pushing for their first Premier League title, uh, well their first you know top division title, and Steve Bruce scored those two headers against Sheffield yeah. Wednesday, yeah, and um, you know there was dancing on the pitch and the the winner was late, and it feels like this is going to be the footage that's you know mirrored in Arsenal terms. The, the the winner against Bournemouth. I think that that's going to be the marker. That was when they showed the mental fortitude and all those things that people like to talk about, which have yeah, yeah. you know nothing to do with what necessarily happened on the pitch in terms of you know gameplay. It's more about the will to it's win. Everything else. Win, which is obviously, it's everything else. Yeah, it's yeah. everything else. It's the the as the Americans like to say, it's the intangibles. Yeah, it, it's that thing of having a, a a player or two in that side that you can look over to as another player, you can look over and be like, well, we're not going to lose the game because he's on the pitch with us. And I think Arsenal have got two or three of those now. And there's a real togetherness there. I'm really impressed with them. But let's talk for a second about um, Trossard because I think he got three, yeah, three assists, wasn't it, at the weekend. He's been really good as soon as he's come into Arsenal. He's been excellent. Looked like he'd been there for years. Now, I'm not going to go down this route because I'm not that guy. But there was a lot of talk. Take my hands. Lead me down this path. <laughs> Arsenal, there's a lot of talk about them missing out on Mudrick. 
Woodrick taking the the Chelsea offer instead. Or more likely, you know, Chelsea offering more money than Arsenal could. But they didn't get Mudrick, and Arsenal fans seem to be gutted about that because it felt like that could have been a real shot in the arm halfway through the season, getting this really top-quality player. But Trossard, in terms of this season and maybe next season, he's the smart pick anyway, right? He must be. We don't know anything about Mudrick. Yes, he's looked brilliant in certain games. Yes, he could be unbelievable. But he is showing that he's taking a little bit of time to settle in. And ultimately... Arsenal want to win something. And if they don't win it this season, it might not happen again for a while. So surely Arsenal fans now must be over the moon with, with Trossard, right? Oh, of course. And, you know, there'll be a lot of hastily deleted tweets from January 31st yeah. when signing... Well, no, from Arsenal fans who were... I know it's easy to pick on Arsenal fans because they are, you know, very uh, emotionally reactive. But they were so outraged that their, you know, transfer window business... Uh, signing, bringing in Jorginho and Trossard, when like we need to improve the team, these players don't improve the team, and which is funny because the whole point of the Arteta era, the this evolution, is that he's weeded out these players who essentially don't do what is required, and he's molded a, a younger team in in his own image, and you know the players he's brought in are players that augment his squad rather than make wholesale changes. It's like, and if it isn't broken, why would you attempt to fix it? So I think they. I always thought Trossard was a smart signing, like not actually the player to put them over the top, but certainly one I don't think I didn't think was going to slow them down. I mean, he's had you know excellent periods at Brighton. He's blown a little bit hot and cold, but you know I think didn't he go up to Anfield and absolutely run riot about a year ago? I think yeah. that um, and he's he's also I think he fits a certain type you might need you know when the you know when you're really in the the thick of it you know he's nippy as they like to say and, and i don't mean that in a fast way you know he's a he's a little shit uh he yeah, can that's, you know that's exactly then, what you want yeah and it doesn't surprise me that conte wanted him because he's the sort of player that conte loves it's why he loves players like richarlison as well absolutely you know hell bent on winning at all costs yeah he also seems like a player who um He's had to put this nicely. So Brighton are a good club, of course they are. They're not as big a club as Arsenal, we know that. Trossard may feel like this is his last chance of getting a big move to a big club. And I think he seems like the sort of player who understands that his role might not be playing 38 games a season. I don't think he's a squad player or a rotation player, but I think he is definitely more like that than Martinelli, Saka, you know, whoever. So he's a player who could be there for three or four seasons playing, you know, 22, 23 games a season. And ha quite happy with that lot if he's winning things. Yeah, absolutely. And it's again, you know, you need what twenty-two players to real contributing players to 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 win a league. And I think they probably were a couple short of that, especially in midfield. You know, bringing George, you know, seems to make a lot of sense. And, and you know, having that extra attacking on. Then when when Trussell came, Martin only was in a real dip. He's only found his form in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, um, and. So it these are all, you know, horrifyingly for, for me, you know, these are all really smart, sensible signings that, you know, if they didn't pay out, it wasn't the reason why they weren't going to win the title. But if they do pay out, you can turn around and say, well, the guys, the the team, the board, the manager, you know, they made brilliant calls. So I think that, you know, and credit to, you know, especially Trossard coming in instantly. And like you said, you know, Mudrick was a player who you're probably looking at next season for. 
to to really make his impact. So for a player to come in, you know, an experienced Premier League player and, and do well, it's exactly what they needed. Definitely. Right, before the break, let's talk about Man City. I don't know if you saw their game against Palace on uh, Saturday evening. Uh, yes. Now, we know, we know that City probably man for man may still be the best team in the league they're probably the best team in the world to be honest but they're going to need to go on one of these runs now they're going to need and we know they can do it but they're going to need to go on one where they just don't drop a point for the next 10 games and the game against palace felt like the first litmus test of that run where they didn't play particularly well palace were pretty dogged although unbelievably poor going forward but dogged and they were well organised, and at home with that crowd, they always have a you know they always have an extra man essentially, and that was a test that Man City passed only just, but that's all you need to do, pass it just with a penalty from Haaland. Talk me through it, Gareth. Well, I mean, I live uh, about uh, five minutes walk from Sellers Park, and you can hear you can hear the roar, or most of these days the murmur from uh, from my back garden, and you know it was a game that. You know, Sellers Park under lights is a thing. There is a real atmosphere. Okay. There's there's almost I'm not sure if they are corrugated tin roofs, but it feels like it, and the the sound really reverber- reverberates around it. And City have not had a particularly good record against Crystal Palace. I mean, um, Andros's Townsend absolute belter, you know, not so long ago, still s- sticks in the memory. So you could you could probably argue that. You know, to beat Palace, which was probably a fixture. I think you know Pep, as we know, gets in his own head. If things don't go well against certain teams, he seems to be very obsessive about it. So I, I think you know, while for your average you know Premier League fixture, it, it looks unremarkable. It might well stand out as one where you know they did well to go and get that win. And it is, you know, I was reading an article uh, yesterday, sort of wondering why Invo Harland is, you know, maybe already the best striker in the world, why he hasn't improved Manchester City. Um, and he is, he was still incredibly, you know, he didn't particularly feel involved in that game, but he's still there when it counts. You know, to step yeah. up and take a penalty in the 80th minute is still worth something. And he's, okay. it's the threats. I think it's the threat and the presence of Harlem, which which counts for a lot. He takes players out of the game by virtue of who he is. He scares the shit out of players still. He he can see mm-hmm. it. You can see, even when he's not on it at all and he's not involved in the game at all, he is occupying three players every single time he's anywhere near the ball. It's 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 really interesting to watch. All right, we're going to take a quick break after which we'll talk about uh, Man United Southampton and we'll talk about West Ham. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Whistleblowers. Let's talk about United Southampton. Gareth, I don't know if you saw this or saw the highlights or what. Um, one of the most entertaining mm, mill mills I've seen for a long, long time. 
Talk to me about Casemiro. There's this stat that he hadn't been sent off in 400 games or whatever it is, um, both uh, in, in Portuguese football and um, and at Real Madrid. And now he's had two red cards in three months in England. Uh, first of all, it's a red card, that, right? Yeah, I, I think it has to be. You know, he goes, the moment that you ostensibly miss the ball and you go over the ball and you take someone's... You know, just above the ankle. It's, it's, uh, I don't think he meant, I don't think it was malicious, but it's a red card. And I think his reaction was, yeah, he was very apologetic. He was very upset because I think he both realized that A, it was a really nasty tackle foul. And also because it was so unintentional, he was like, oh my God, what have I done? In, in both the, you know, the potential injury sense, but also in the, I, I was not looking to clean that guy out. Yeah, but ultimately, I mean, the reason, the only reason that his foot bounces off the top of the ball is that his foot was high enough in relation to the ball for it to bounce off it. So it, it was a, it was a poor challenge, but yeah, I don't think, I don't, I actually don't think he is that sort of player. I, I think he's a very, uh, he's a player that fouls technically a lot, breaks games up a lot and is a bit of a nightmare, um, but I don't think he's a nasty player. Um, no, he's, he's not Vinnie Jones. Reaction. I mean, no. I, and I think that, I mean, one, so he's, you know, was he 30? He's he's never been a quick player. He's, you know, rather like all the best defensive footballers, it's all about the anticipation, reading the game, stopping things before the situation occurs. And that probably just shows, you know, the, the Premier League is, is such a quick, quick game that you only have to be like one off the pace in any given moment and what might be a really good tackle in in yeah, any other off. league um and you're off and and it, it that's not to imply that he has any deficiencies of the football you know he's been probably their player of season he's absolutely brilliant but it's i, it, I, I think it's more much, about Gareth. a player who's only been there for six months well he's he's, he's essentially yeah well especially when he's been partnered by either mctominay or fred i mean you know i i think uh Another with another writer with, with Bruno on Sunday, and um, and obviously that I think that was partly about the uh, the fact that they played on the Thursday night in 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 the the Europa League, and you know trying to again talking about having a big enough squad. You know, Man United's first eleven is is fantastic, and but you get to play a sixteen seventeen, and it shows the difference between them and and Man City and and, and Chelsea. And I think yeah, I, I agree. He, he he does too much because he is he's turned around the team. His presence there probably more than any other, and perhaps the absence of of Ronaldo has has been a huge thing. But that's um, you know you can't be perfect in every game. No. Uh, also worth mentioning Southampton here because they'll feel they could have won that game. Probably should have done. Missed some good chances. Um, I thought they were playing well, even even eleven versus eleven. So they've they definitely got a shot at staying up. Um, a team that is finding themselves getting sucked into this. I mean, it's not even being sucked in anymore. They are right in it. It's, it's West Ham. I think we both look at that squad that West Ham have got and think, well, they're definitely really good. They're too good to even be anywhere near this. They should be, you know, mid-table minimum. And yet, at the moment, it's just awful. And and first of all, let's let's hear from Tom Rennie. Tom is a football broadcaster and West Ham fan. Here's Tom with his take on West Ham at the moment. The good news about recording these West Ham reviews for you is that I don't need to update the script very much. It was the same mediocre performance we've seen from West Ham for well over a year. Certainly this season has been a disaster, but all this they've turned things around 
It's two wins in 14. It's six wins all season. It's out of the relegation zone after today's draw against Aston Villa. And no game next week means they could be bottom of the league before they play in the Premier League again. The performance against Aston Villa was okay, but they conceded a soft goal. The defensive work of Tilo Kera remains the stuff of nightmares. The midfield, Paqueta, Sojek and Rice, does not work. Bowen and Benrahma actually had quite good games, but they couldn't convert from open play, nor could they set up Danny Ings for a decent chance. And there was no... Kind of desire to win at the end. Aston Villa, nothing to play for. And were perfectly competent and comfortable, if unspectacular. West Ham needed to win against Aston Villa. And when six minutes were added on at the end of the game, people started to go. It wouldn't be like that at Old Trafford, Ellen Road, even the Vitality Stadium. Because you think, right, we're going to have a go at this. West Ham just never were going to. They have not scored a goal in the opening 15 minutes of any game this season. They never looked like scoring from open play. The penalty they got was dubious at best. And they do it every single week. David Moyes doesn't make changes. David Moyes can't improve things in-game. And the old way of scoring a goal from a corner, 12 corners against Aston Villa. They did win a penalty from one, but didn't score from the other 11. Can they go down? Yeah. Will they go down? I think they will, actually. Because the other teams are showing a heck of a lot more fight than West Ham are. And West Ham are just morose. Every week, the same malaise. Every week, the same problems. It's not getting put right. And they've thrown away almost all the winnable home games now. Still to come at home, Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester United... A hugely important penultimate home game of the season against Leeds and Southampton at the start of the next run of games post-international break. I just don't see them getting the five or six wins required. As I mentioned, they don't win away and they can't win at home. It's pitiful. It's pathetic. But mainly, it's just left everyone feeling flat because nothing is happening. So, I don't think West Ham will stay up if they keep David Moyes. If they do, he simply has to go. The players seem fed up of him, the fans seem fed up of him, and he seems fed up of him. And I know I am. That was broadcaster Tom Rennie, West Ham fan, disgruntled West Ham fan. He's right to be annoyed though, isn't he, Gareth? Yeah, disappointed or, or maybe even perplexed given how good they were last year. Um, it's, I mean, this happened with Everton a lot, didn't it? They they almost felt like one year on, one year off under, under Moyes. And yeah. I think... Someone, someone I heard suggested that he's very good when he's the underdog, and then when there's a weight of expectation, it doesn't seem to work out. I mean, it, it seemed quite telling that. I mean, he's really struggled to to implement these players they brought in in the last year, and um, you know, Suchek was dropped, and now Suchek's been put back in, and there is almost that old kind of, well, you're the guys who got me out of the first mess. So let let's go back to this and. It's it does seem like he's he's kind of short on ideas and he doesn't quite know how to change things. I mean, possibly because he's always been a manager with a very specific kind of style and yeah. way about the way yeah. they play and and so forth. And and when it's good, it's good. And you know, it's it's great being an underdog when you're being plucky and pulling things out. But the moment that you're expected to win a few games and you fall flat on your face, it, it must be hugely frustrating. Yeah, I think especially with players like uh, Pakatar, who is obviously. A- top quality players, Brazil's number 10 at the moment. I mean, he he plays every game for Brazil and 
clearly has an enormous amount of ability, but it just seems like it's not the right fit. And that's fair to say, isn't it? I think so. I mean, it's I, I, I'd be really surprised if Moyes was the one leading the charge for a, uh, a Brazilian number 10 from Ligue 1. <laughs> Um, it does, it does strike. Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's really unfair. Yeah, let's slag our Moyes off. Don't stop slagging Moyes off. Well, listen. I, the thing with West Ham is, and, and and Tom Rennie, who you heard from there, he's he's talked about it at length, and and he's mentioned it on Twitter a lot. Moyes, for a lot of West Ham fans, is not the right guy to see out the remainder of the season for West Ham. There's a good chance that this this new manager bounce we talk about. If you don't get a new manager, you don't get the bounce. And West Ham are at the moment just sort of sleepwalking towards relegation without even really trying to do anything about it. They've kept with Moyes. It's not too late to change it. I'm not advocating they sack him. I don't want that to happen, obviously. But you'd, I wouldn't be surprised if it happened tomorrow, for example. And you'd have to say, well, at least they're being proactive about it. What's your take on this new manager bounce situation? The new manager bounce, it's real. I mean, there's statistics that show that for two or three games, you know, teams have an elevated performance. Um, in results, certainly, and, and there's a lot of reasons behind it. It might be, you know, if a if a new manager comes in and implements a new style, all that old tapers out the window. Maybe teams find it hard to to game plan a little bit. You know, they can't watch the last twenty games. Um, maybe it does lift the dressing room. Maybe certain players, you know, come in and feel they've got something to prove or something to show. So it, it does work. And for me, the big thing's always been about the timing of these changes. You know, you look at the 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 clubs currently in the bottom three and admittedly you know you you essentially have a bottom eight from 12 to to 20 you know Palace in 12th are separated by three points from Bournemouth third bottom and you know Southampton Leeds changed their manager fairly recently they're they're the bottom two Bournemouth yep. did it a lot earlier they you know they won two of the last four so shown signs and and then you look at teams who stuck with the manager you know Leicester um, have now lost their last four and a you know level on 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 points with the the bottom three. You have Nottingham Forest who looked like they were going to be absolutely fine and now you know you're talking about teams sleepwalking towards relegation zone. Them and Crystal Palace could be put in the same the same yeah. boat. There's an eight point gap between eleventh, which is Villa, and and twelfth, and it's like it's so pronounced now that there's only so many teams who have a chance left to roll a dice and I do wonder whether you almost have to kind of time it um you change your manager now you get a couple of wins and you might well be absolutely fine uh if you've gone too early you know what can you do like you know Leeds for example are out of options they couldn't do anything Southampton's different because they were absolutely rooted at the bottom and they they've now you know they've lost only one of the last four there's been promising signs they had some good cup performances so it's I think there's an art to it there's a science to it I don't know whether clubs realize that or really look at it or or maybe I'm being overly cynical about it but yeah you've got you've got to hope they do and time it but they've worked out when you they've worked out the exact minute to which you're supposed to eat pasta on a match day they've surely have worked out the exact week with which you're supposed to have sat your manager by I mean at least Southampton pulled the trigger early yeah can you imagine if the club staff um sat there and uh, managed to inform the board of the exact point when they themselves should be sacked. Yeah. Yeah. So our, our, uh, our data person says, if you sack them, he or her, uh, yeah. you know, round about game week 27, that should. Yeah. And I, I brought my own data analyst with me and that's the one who's telling me I've got to go now, sadly. 
That's just what it is. Um, all right. Just fall on your own digital sword. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't really believe there's an international break coming up because it feels like there's, it's just balls to the wall Premier League football at the moment, uh, which is what I like, by the way. Uh, but we've only got this weekend coming up. There's a couple of games midweek this week and then another round of fixtures at the weekend. And then that's it. We've got another, we've got a two-week gap. That international break, I have a feeling, Gareth, there's going to be injuries, there's going to be issues with players, someone's season's going to get ruined through no fault of the club's own, and I'm happy to take bets on what you think it might be, uh, but maybe off off air. <laughs> to, to avoid any score, do you think there'll be at least one tabloid, uh, explosive tabloid oh. view of disgruntled player? Yeah, there'll be a scandal. People, Players not in international squads just get bored. They just get bored. and Now's a time to complain about the uh, the team and how I'm not being used properly and yeah. blah, blah, blah. It's a source it, close it to the club. It is a shame said. because it feels <laughs> a source close to, yeah. But I, I think that it, it felt like it took a little while for the Premier League to warm up again after the uh, after the World Cup. But now we're really in the you know full swing. There, there's you know, your, your three classic races for the title, for the top four, and then to avoid relegation are really looking fun this year. It's really fun. It's a really good. It's a really good league. All right. Well, look. Thank you, Gareth Dobson. Have you got anything to uh, to plug before we let you go? Not too much at the moment. I've got. I think it's all the same. Uh, you know, exciting musicians out on tour. Go and get a gold pounder ticket. Go and pick up a new Griff Reese uh, soundtrack and and enjoy. Lovely stuff. All right. This has been the Whistleblowers. We'll be back same time, same place next Monday with more. Thanks to Gareth. Thanks to Boyd Hilton and Tom Rennie for contributing as well. Um, All right, have a good one. See you later. Sports Social Podcast Network.